Welcome back to the Art Inside the Craft podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Glazier, and this is episode number 30. Today's episode is very exciting for me personally, as I came to discover today's guest, A.J. Croce, through his father, Jim Croce, whose music I have listened to and studied over the past 36 years. A.J. has built his career through a complete dedication to his craft, and while his famous last name may have got people to answer the door, A.J.'s talent is responsible for kicking it open and allowing him to collaborate with legends like Leon Russell. We discuss his journey to music and how after a career of his own originals, he created a unique tour that highlights his father's music as well as his own. Let's listen in on that interview now with A.J. Croce. So obviously we're here to talk about kind of the tour, but would you mind just if we talk a little bit about your road getting there first before we get into that? Sure, absolutely. How how much time do we have, Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, obviously I started playing um, piano when I was a, a little kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, could barely walk and would shuffle over to the to the piano and start playing. And so it was always sort of part of my life. And when I was... Um, you know, a teenager, I got really into um, all kinds of music. I had my dad's record collection, but it was uh, Ray Charles was sort of my gateway drug. And so I started, you know, listening to all that music and then collecting more that was like it. And, and it, you know, my dad's record collection was really diverse. There was a lot of soul music like Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and Solomon Burke and, and, um, lots of great rock and roll stuff and and all of that but then there was great old blues like uh, mississippi john hurt and blind blake and mm, wonderful uh, and gary davis and and um bessie smith and fats waller um you know kind of more in the jazz world um and it was all over the map as well as folk music and old country and and um you know all kinds of stuff so I had kind of a, a a broad sense of of what I liked, and um, you know, as a kid, I, I lost my sight when I was four. So I would put the records that I liked over on the left side of the um, record cabinet, and um, and would just grab you know, literally blindly and see what I was going to get. Huh. Uh, if I really loved something, I would put it all the way over to the, to the far left. And, um, so that's how my, um, interest in records started cool. when I was, um, when I was a teenager, I started playing professionally at first, just here and there. Um, when I was 12, I got my first paid gig playing piano. And then, when I was 16, um, after having played with a couple different bands doing, you know, rock and roll, sort of garage band rock and roll, and then another band was more of a jazz thing. And I was playing by 15, I was playing four or five nights a week um, at jazz clubs and blues clubs and and um, all ages venues doing the rock and roll stuff. And um, punk rock clubs, all kinds of places, you know. And then at 16, I had uh, an opportunity to sort of tour around Southern California with a with a guy named Floyd Dixon. Floyd wrote songs like "Hey Bartender" and "Wine, Wine, Wine" and "One oh, Scotch, One sure. Beer." Cool. And uh, he was sort of a you know big figure on the Central Avenue scene in the in the 50s and 60s and so on. And so. Uh, this was in the 80s, and he and I would play these little clubs all over 
uh, Southern California, and uh, he would give me advice on it. You know, I'd start off playing, uh, you know, opening up for him, and then he would play a set, and then I would um, I would join him, and we'd play those four-handed boogies like they did in the 40s, like um, Mead Lux Lewis and Albert Ammons or Pete Johnson used to play, sometimes mm. six-handed boogies like those. And... And so that really turned me on to to um, that music and and in a in a very real way. And then at seventeen, um, a woman named May Axton heard me play. She was a songwriter and publisher. She wrote "Heartbreak Hotel" for Elvis, oh, okay. and, um, among many other songs. And she was a real champion of mine. And she called up Cowboy Jack Clement. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was a yeah. staff engineer and songwriter for Sun Records starting in 53 to about 60 when he went independent, mm-hmm. went from left Memphis and came to Nashville. And so uh, May Axton called up Cowboy and said, you got to hire this kid. He did. And that was my very first recording session. It was here in Nashville where I live now. Wow, cool. And I didn't realize I was filling in for Jerry Lee Lewis. As I walked in, Jerry Lee walked out. Wow. And, um, and I looked at the band that was sitting on his couch in his office, and it was Elvis's band. You know, Jerry <laughs> Sheff, uh-huh. Ron Tutt. And... Um, and James, and it was um, very heady, you know. Wow, <laughs> I did, yeah, I can imagine. Wow, this is <laughs> this is this is crazy. You know, James Burton, man, it was it it blew my mind, you know. And that really changed my perspective of what Nashville was about, but it also changed my idea of music in a lot of ways. And you know, I had sung and I had written, um, but at that point, I was you know more of a piano player than anything else. And and the the three you know things I did at that point sort of developed on their own as a as a songwriter. I developed by doing it every day and writing with uh, a lot of other people and, you know, collaboration, writing with great writers and then, um, and then singing, you know, singing all the time. About a year later, I was 18. I had a, I played a a gig and BB King was there. He saw me play and asked if I wanted to go on the road. And after that, I just, you know, after that I got signed and, had a manager and an agent and, you know, had an opportunity to go on the road. And I know it's sort of a long story, yeah. but, uh, but that's, that's how it started. And then, you know, I got to play with some of my heroes, including Ray Charles. Wow. Yeah. That's an incredible, that's an incredible story, incredible life. And so I was going to say your main instrument is uh, piano and you've, like you've said, written and played with some of the giants, not just on piano, but music in general. And when mm-hmm. you when you kind of look back at that time um, that you spent with them, and you know you don't have to really name anyone, but can you kind of recall yeah. like specific or maybe inadvertent things that you picked up, um, either because they suggested or like you said they just said keep keep going with with you know keep doing what you're doing. There was all kinds all kinds of advice from different people, you know. I would periodically take lessons more about theory than anything else. Like I said, I started when I couldn't see. So it was once I, you know, got part, at least part of my vision back, I was, I was able to see the chords I was making and start to understand it visually as well as just by, um, by the way it sounded and, Mm -hmm. and, and so forth. And it, and so, you know, I took lessons periodically, still do, you know, and more maybe about theory than anything else. 
playing to uh you know i had you know a producer say you should practice to a metronome which i did you know and then another producer said practice with a drummer you know don't practice with a metronome because oh. you want the living person to be there and you want the to be able to understand how someone else plays and they may not play like a metronome but they may be wonderful hmm. um and and then different ways of of playing the parts you know listening to alan toussaint from from my early teens really taught me how to arrange horns and what i'd want for harmonies and you know he was just sort of all in one a producer and songwriter and great piano player and singer and arranger and and that really inspired me and um i was just gonna say i just um i just also watched your um pace studio uh that set from 2020 and man that version you did of the uh billy Preston nothing from nothing was just incredible <laughs> Oh, thank you. Just, I appreciate. It. Oh man, that that was just on fire. Yeah, you'd said something about you're glad Yamaha had brought that piano in because that's a tough one to play on something that doesn't move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Um, <laughs> certainly, the way I play it, it's it's you got to have all the all the keys need to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. And so, uh, for some people who may not know uh, that are listening, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you kind of purposefully stayed away from performing your father's stuff publicly um, anyway, in order to establish yourself and your own brand of music. And I'm going to guess that was also kind of um, a struggle on its own just to, you know, be doing your own thing, obviously with, with the Croce last name. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was bittersweet. I think I got, um, you know, opportunities, maybe a couple doors open, but, you know, they don't stay open in unless you have something to back it up with. And, you know, I was fortunate, too, that some of my songs had, you know, had charted and and, you know, so that and were being used in films and so forth. So that was something that was a positive. But honestly i was also really involved and have always been involved in in his publishing you know about 10 wow. years after i got started i i the copyrights reverted and you know i had already been doing my own publishing and working with also with big publishers and so i was really in a very good place after a decade of it to understand what to do and what not to do with his catalog and i really was you know, it's a family thing. So it was a little different than than working my music, but I I really was in a good place to be able to contribute to his legacy behind the scenes. You know, I there I didn't feel at that point in my life that there was any integrity in me uh just playing his stuff. You know, um it was something I would do at home sometimes. Uh I would do it fun. But, you know, it wasn't until I picked up a uh, guitar in my early 30s and um, found that, you know, as a piano player, finger style guitar playing was really came natural. Hmm. And and so it started with playing, you know, uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee stuff and then learned a little Mississippi John Hurt. And then by that point, that stuff was so similar in in a way i know it it doesn't seem like it but once you have that you have you have a you, you know once you can play 
Offie Blues or Salty Dog or one of those things that, you know, John Hurt did, then you can play Operator, you know, and you mm, can play, yeah. you know, you know, other stuff. So it, it kind of started, it, it started that way. And, and, um, you know, it was also that guitar gave me a, an instrument that I didn't know. So I, I really simplified my songwriting from the music, from the composition perspective. It focused more on words during that period than just on the, the complicated chords I could see on a piano or that I understood or just in, went to, you know, by inclination. And so I think something happened in around that time. It was probably... 20 years ago now when I had this, uh, I was transferring a bunch of my father's music um, from, from a reel to reel to digital just for archiving sake. And these were home recordings. Like, you know, many, many of his recordings were home recordings um, um, that, that, I, that, you know, we had. And so this particular tape had all these songs that I had played since I was, 13, 12, 13 years old. And they were really obscure tunes by some of the artists I mentioned, but they weren't the, they weren't the hits. It wasn't like Ain't Misbehaving by Fats Waller uh -huh. or, you know, Rose. It was, you're not the only one in the stew. And it was, it, it, it was the deep cuts of, of relatively obscure artists. And we were playing the exact same songs. We chose the same songs to play. And I realized we had this connection just hmm. Um, it, the hairs on my neck stood up when <laughs> when I heard that one song after another, and and so I realized we had something in common that was something that I felt could be shared in a way I didn't know exactly how. Hmm. And then and then what would have been his uh, 70th birthday 10 years ago, I did a one-off show playing guitar and piano um, and had, you know, a bunch of little ga guests at a, f at a small club at my mom's place, actually at Croce's to celebrate oh, yeah. what would have been his 70th birthday. And I saw how happy and engaged the audience was and realized that there was something there that could be really really uh, amazing if if i you know if i did it at some point mm -hmm. and it took another five years or so before i really came up with this idea of croce plays croce which incorporates my father's music my music and the music that connects us and that's actually a perfect lead-in because i was just going to get into the tour can you just run down like you spoke a little bit about it so is the show like is your performance night to night kind of constructed so it tells a story or is it kind of open? Can you move songs in and out or do you, are you really trying to tell kind of a specific story with what you're doing? I have a lot of flexibility the, there's um, stories with, with a lot of the songs and where the, where they came from, where my father, you know, got the ideas from, or um, in some cases, the influences where they came from, whether they were musical or lyrical, for example, something like don't mess around with Jim is sort of a combination of of these sort of R&B classics that you would have heard by Lieber and Stoller, mm -hmm. you know, 
they wrote for everyone. They wrote for, you know, they wrote for Elvis, but they wrote for the coasters and they wrote for the drifters and they wrote for all these different groups. And they wrote these great character songs, whether it was little Egypt or Charlie Brown or right. Smokey Joe's cafe or Kansas city. And then you have this guitar part, you know, my dad growing up in on South street in Philadelphia, um, especially in his early years, you really, heard a lot of different kinds of music and you hear jimmy reed in there you hear that that guitar line that's so similar and and you know i'm not giving the introduction to the song right now i'm just talking to you about you know um but the stories that go with with these songs um can vary night to night just as the set list i think one of the most enjoyable things about the show is it's 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 pretty energetic you know i've got an amazing band with me of some pretty legendary all grammy winning musicians and and we get to really have a lot of fun of course we play the 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 hits Mm -hmm. but we also play some of the deep cuts that are that are a lot of fun and that relate to the bigger story. And I think when you ask, is there is there one story I'm trying to tell? I, I think it's a bigger story. In a way, it's not about the legacy of one man, but of two. Mm. And and so and so that is that is the goal. You know, my goal is to is to entertain the audience. And and so, you know. There's laughing, there's crying, <laughs> Wonderful. and uh, there's singing, there's stomping, you know, it's, it, we, you know, every night is, is really fun. And while, you know, there's a limited number of songs of my father's that I could play, you know, I have 30 years of recording as well as, as well as thousands and thousands of songs that we have in common. So, so the the set can change the songs that i might play of mine would might change depending on what i'm playing of his depending on what influence i might draw from to create a unique set and having said all that do you have kind of a favorite time during the show or maybe not a specifically a, a certain song of either yours or your, your dad's or one of the influences that you kind of look forward to just because of the way the audience reacts or how maybe how it makes you or the band feel when you're performing that you kind of get that with everything. <laughs> no, it's. Um, I think there's there's a couple factors. First of all, the audience plays a huge role in it. You know, their their mood really influences mine. And if it's an energetic crowd, then it's an it's a really energetic show. Hmm. And and even if it's a a quiet crowd, it's still an energetic show. But if they're into it, then we have this ability to have a far more dynamic uh performance um i think any time that i can go off script and and make a right turn or left turn somewhere and and um and the band i look at the band and they don't know where i'm going or what's gonna happen that's always the fun moment because it keeps the show so um eclectic and uh fun kind of reminds me of uh there's a real famous story uh herbie hancock tells about playing with miles davis where he's performing something and he hits the wrong note that he should have played and uh, miles like stops for a second and then he takes off on that note and makes it right and it just it kind of seems like jazz is kind of like that but that's that's really does make it exciting when you don't know (laughs) maybe what's going to happen but it just comes out beautiful you know that's 
the thing I love about jazz, but that's the thing I love about music. You know, um, you play the, the wrong note enough times um, on purpose and and it's no longer wrong note. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Miles Davis did something else that was really unique, which was um, encourage them to play something different every night, even if it was recorded one way. Um, you know, um, he didn't want them to continue to play the same thing. He wanted them to push for something unique. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's what I try and do, uh, with my playing and, and my singing every night. Yeah, that's great. I just got a couple more questions and then we can wrap up. Uh, and I have to say probably two of my favorite, which, you know, like I said, I've been listening for almost 40 years now. I'm, I'm 48. Um, so two of my favorite uh, Jim Croce songs are A Long Time Ago, which I struggled uh-huh. for a super long time to learn how to play on guitar. And mm-hmm. uh, and box like number. Yeah. <laughs> and then box number 10, um, which are both on You Don't Mess Around With Jim, which yeah. just hit the 50 year mark. And yes. uh, you kind of touched a little bit on on the catalog. Uh, issue, but I know that BMG put out an anniversary edition, and I was just kind of curious. Like coming up as far as his music, are you able to get involved? Do you have any plans to like re-release stuff from the catalog or do anything? Like I know there was a record store day last year or 2021, yeah. I think. So just curious about that. Yeah, I'm very involved on a daily basis, um, even when I'm touring. Um, BMG has been wonderful, and um, so it's uh, it's 50 years this year since the second two albums were um, recorded. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, you don't mess around with Jim. Celebrated 50 years last year, and we did a 50th anniversary tour, more multimedia and a bigger bigger group with singers and and more players and all of this video footage and things like that, which we'll do again this this fall um, to include all all three albums um but um yes they'll all be released on on vinyl they'll be released on cd of course they'll be streaming digital uh this spring uh we'll have a a release of the um the apple um 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 uh, versions of it that are you know the three-dimensional sound which is really really amazing uh Facial audio, which I think is 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 it's it's pretty nuts um, being able to hear things that way and turn your head and hear hear a different instrument in a different way. Really wonderful. Wow. So so all through this year we'll be celebrating what would have been his 80th year and also what uh, would have been the 50th anniversary of those two albums. You know, his career was very brief. It was 18 months. Right. And, and so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of amazing what he accomplished in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Um, well, that's good. That's fantastic to hear because I mean, I've been, <laughs> you know, like I say, there's, there's not a week that goes by. I don't play at least one or two complete albums of his just because it's, you know, like I said, it's kind of like that litmus test I put everything up against. If it's <laughs> if it's not at least half as good as what those albums are, then it's not worth listening to. <laughs> so well, uh, yeah. and and I'll tell you, a long time ago is a tricky song because um, it it's not the same. You know, the first verse 
um, goes into the chorus and and you would assume that the second verse would go into the chorus the same way but it's right. it's half long and it and and it plays the opposite um, chords of the chorus and bridge and so it's um, it's it's uh, unorthodox to put it one way <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. And box number 10 is one of my favorite. It's always been my one of my favorites. It's one of the first songs of his that that I learned um, on guitar. And um, yeah, it's that's a it's a great first album. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, I played it from beginning to end last year and it was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. And just like I said, those stories from those two, just the lyrics and the sentiment is just so incredible, you know. Just, mm-hmm. just mind blowing. <laughs> um, well, so what's next for you then with your music? What do you have planned coming up? I guess. Well, there's a there's a lot. I'm, I'm I'll be going in um, to the studio in May to record a new uh, album of originals. Um, you know, I'm always collaborating with with different folks, um, and so to me, that's always fun. And um, I'm writing. Um, I'm writing a, a memoir of short stories uh, as well about my life, and it touches a lot on his. And um, and I'm trying to think what else. There's a documentary that someone is uh, company is making about me. I don't know where that stands, but I think it'll be out next year. And um, it's taken up most of my time between that and being able to, um, you know, practice everything every day creative um that's 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 my job i honestly cannot thank aj enough for taking the time to speak to me about his career 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of jim croce's three legendary albums that he released before his passing in 1973 aj currently has dates scheduled through early 2024 performing croce place croce the 50th anniversary and having had the opportunity to see him live it is definitely a must-see show i want to thank my sponsors inc 19 the glass bottom boat of the cultural press with some of the best music concert book and film reviews available as well as black cat bone productions which you can find on instagram stay tuned for a ton of more exciting episodes and as always i will catch you all down the road Thank <laughs> you.